<laughs> now, if you're young, you may not know that song, but that was Bob Dylan singing that right after he got converted. Uh, many believe that Van Morrison was the one that led him to Christ. And uh, he sang that. My brother said he went to a concert right after he was converted, my youngest brother. And he said he got up and he goes, looks out on the audience, he goes, some of you guys got demons. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about you got to serve somebody. Amen? You got to serve somebody. Before I do that, I just want to tell you, don't miss out on the Breathe Conference. It's going to be an incredible conference. You saw Jennifer Toledo. I know you don't know a lot about her. She's an incredible, incredible minister of God. Also, you know, David Wagner is amazing. And I know you guys know Bob Hazlett. He's been here. But it's going to be an incredible conference. 29th, 30th, 31st uh, September, and then the 1st of October. So uh, you can sign up in the foyer, although hopefully somebody will be there uh, to sign you up. Or you can better to go online if you can. But anyway, I just want to say this. Say, you got to serve somebody. <laughs> we could play the whole song, but... Uh, we're running out of time, so i got to jump in here. So uh, I just want you to know that it, it's really important. You know, we talk about Jesus being the Lord of our life, and this is a series, part three of Lord of All. You know, we talk about Jesus being Lord, but I really wonder sometimes if you really know what that means and if he really is. Now, several years ago when I was pastoring up in the mountains in Grand Lake, I remember I was driving and there was this young couple uh, that were hitchhiking. They had kind of long hair and, and uh, you know, just by their clothes, they looked kind of like hippies. And I, I pulled over and picked them up and I was headed from Grand Lake to Kremlin, which is about an hour drive. And as I began to talk to them, they said, oh, we're part of the way. Now, the way was a Christian cult and the head of it was Victor Paul, Paul Wowworld, Wurwow, Wurl, it's hard to say the last name. Anyway, uh, but it was Victor Paul Wurwow, and uh, they had established their headquarters in Ohio, and they were actually establishing their western headquarters in Grand Lake. And uh, through a lot of prayer that we were able to not to cause that not to happen. But, but anyway, uh, so they got in the car, and we're just talking, nice couple, young couple, and and. Uh, I go, Lord, what do I say to them? I knew that they had really weird things, and I didn't understand fully what they believed, but, but we just talked. And so the Lord said, just ask them if Jesus is truly their Lord. And so as they're getting out, uh, I did, you know, before they got out, I said, by the way, just one thing I want, to really, want you to really think about. Is Jesus Christ really your Lord? Is he really your Lord? And then uh, I said, is there any way I can help you? Any other way I can help you? And besides give a ride. They go, well, we don't have any money. And so I reached in my pocket. I had $23 in my wallet. Uh, I gave them the $23 and figured, I don't know if I'll ever see them again. And off they went. About four to five years later, uh, I had since moved to Greeley, Colorado, uh, the church I'd become part of. Uh, actually, I, every year I led worship at an ecumenical conference in Vail, Colorado, about the first week of October. And uh, so I assembled a worship team uh, and <clears throat> took them from the, from the church I just started attending <clears throat> and took them to, to Vail. And uh, I remember we, we did Friday night and we were sitting around Saturday morning kind of praying and talking and uh, figuring out what set, how the, the set we were going to do that morning. And all of a sudden, I looked at this guy, and he looked at me, and we had this incredible revelation. 
that this was the guy, he and his wife, his wife, Eric and Candy, and Candy was with him. She was there as well. And, and we went, wow. And he goes, yeah, you picked me up. And I went, yeah, I realized I picked you up. Anyway, this was the guy I picked up. He said, I want you to know when you told me as Jesus Lord, that haunted me. And he said, eventually we got out of that cult. We became born again Christians. And he said, uh, and he said, I just came to this church and I just, I'm on the worship team. He was a lead guitarist. And uh, I said, man, it's so amazing because you never get to see those things happen, you know. So it was a great thing. But it was, you know, the Jesus is Lord thing. And, and again, uh, I think it's so important we really understand what that means. You know, back in those days, it was the Roman Empire. So people would salute each other. Caesar is Lord. But the Christians would, they would greet each other with Jesus is Lord. Now, that got them in a lot of trouble. That actually got them fed to the lions in some cases, and, and not the Detroit lions. No, they're not strong. Enough. Anyway, but, uh, but they, they, they got fed to the lions. And, and uh, the bottom line was that, you know, uh, there was a conflict here. But they could not say Caesar was Lord because Jesus was their Lord. And they could not elevate Caesar above Jesus. Now, the question is, who is our Lord? Now, the Apostle Paul really realized, and I, I believe for him to be Lord, you've got to be a bondservant. A bondservant is someone that has absolutely no rights. Now, the Apostle Paul in the 14th chapter of Romans, he says something very interesting. He's introducing himself to the Romans, and he says something in the beginning. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant, of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, special messenger, personal chosen representative, set apart for preaching the gospel, the good news, gospel of God, the good news of salvation. Now notice he says, I am a bondservant. That's who I am. What was a bondservant? Well, a bondservant was somebody that oftentimes would voluntarily give their life to their master. What would happen is they would, their ear would be placed up against uh, a piece of stone and they would actually put an awl through the ear. They'd drive an awl through it, put a hole in it, and then they'd put a ring in that ear. And that symbolized that now for the rest of their life, they would serve, they would give up all their rights and they would serve that master. When we become a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give up all our rights and we choose to serve him above all else. Amen? Now, I know a lot of you don't have, uh, you know, a, a hole in your ear or, or a ring. Uh, I remember in, uh, Mike was, what grade were you in? 12th grade. Mike was in 12th grade and uh, he came home and he had a hole in his ear and he had a, a little thing in his ear. And... Uh, he was watching my reaction. He goes, Dad, what do you think? I said, you know, Mike, that looks really cute. <laughs> he wanted me to react. And, I, you know, Mike was a great kid. He didn't rebel or anything. I thought if that's going to be the, the major part of his rebellion, hey, I can handle that. Uh, my parents would have much rather had that than the way I rebelled when I was senior in high school. Anyway, that's a whole other story we won't go into. But, but I just want to tell you that being a bondservant is really, really key in our lives. You know, there's so many ways we can look at it, but there are so many masters that are trying to vie for our attention. There's many masters that try to say, hey, I want you to serve me above all else. I think one of the strongest ones is money or security. 
Security means money for most people, and so, uh, but, but I think money and, and, and security are, are a big one that really tries to take over uh, and become masters in our life, more so than Jesus. You know, I, I never really worried about money. I don't know why. It's, it's just something I never worried about. Uh, just, just growing up, I didn't worry about it. Uh, I remember I lived in a teepee, <laughs> you know, and I didn't worry about money. I remember I traveled around Europe and the Middle East, and uh, I actually, I, I lived on about $2 a day. I slept in a lot of fields and barns and so forth, but, uh, you know, and then when I, when I was in Israel, I had 19 days of free rum and board uh, in a prison there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, it was a, a pretty cheap flight. I mean, a pretty cheap, you know, so, but I never worried about money. And even, you know, when I took this church, for example, uh, when I went to seminary, I didn't worry about money. God provided supernaturally, even though I wasn't making that much money. And, 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 you know, when I took this church, I didn't ask about the financial status. I then found, after I was, you know, said, yeah, I'll pastor the church, that they were $50,000 in debt, and I had to go beg my day job back. Uh, you know, when I was a single parent, I ended up working in a Christian school as a teacher, made $1,300 a month, and then hustled painting jobs in the summer. And that was only for nine months. And then in the summer, I hustled painting jobs, but I never worried about money. And, and the amazing thing was, uh, when I'd get the $1,300 check, I'd write out a check for $130. I'd tithe right away. Then I'd give beyond that. And God just supernaturally provided. And then, you know, it was interesting. It's just, it seems like all my life, he's just provided. When, when we had kids going to college, on our salaries, that's not going to happen. But somehow God provided. And they didn't have to take out loans. We were able to, God supernaturally provided. And at one year we had, Mike was a senior in college and Anna was a freshman. And, uh, and we made it through that year. And it's like God provided. And just lately, I started worrying about money a little bit. You know, as I get older, I thought, you know, I'm going to be pulling back a little in the years to come. And, you know, maybe I should be more, you know responsible or more, you know, I don't know what the word is, but I, you know, and I started worrying about it. And the Lord said, wait a minute, all through your life, I have been there for you. I have provided. Why now would you start worrying? So I just want to say to you, if you're starting to worry about those things, or if you do worry about those things, do not let those become a master in your life. This is the way Jesus, Jesus talked about this. He knew this was a problem with people. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And then he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will, take, you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. You can't serve God and money. You can't. It doesn't work. And again, money represents security to, to many. And so uh, I, I just want to say it's so important. If you have trouble giving, and I'm not just talking about financially. If you have trouble giving of your life, giving of your time, just giving of your finances. If you have trouble doing that, then there's something there where Jesus is not really fully the Lord of your life. And I, I just want you to be free. Because, you know, when we get to heaven, we're not taking any of this stuff with us, folks. Uh, you know, I'm just telling you, we're not taking any of it with us. So when you can be generous Man, God just blesses you. You can't outgive God. He's a, he's a God who blesses so much. And so he wants us to be free of that and not, not have that, you know, I, I need to protect what I have. You know, because God is the, he has the cattle on a thousand hills. You know? He owns the silver and the gold. He's an incredible supplier. He's called Jehovah Rapha, 
the God who's more than enough. He's also called El Shaddai, the big-breasted one, meaning that he, he's abundant in, in what he does. So again, we've got to get our focus on him, get our eyes on him. You know, uh, I really deeply appreciate my son because uh, when he was down in Houston as a developer uh, over, you know, over two large developments there, uh, he was in line. He would have been making a million dollars when he actually chose to come here. And I said, Mike, don't come here unless you really know it's God. And he goes, no, I know it's God. He came here and took the executive pastor position and gave up that incredible salary to serve what God said. And that showed me who his, who his Lord was and that, it wasn't, that money wasn't mastering him and uh, deeply touched my heart in a very powerful way. And so I just want to say to you, I do not want, I do not want money to be, able to be the one who is the master over you because it will keep you from being able to fully allow Jesus to be the Lord in that area of your life. That's one area. What's another area? I'd say another area is striving for success, you know, where it's all about me. You know, I'm just going to rise to the top and everybody will look at me and think how great I am. It's kind of like the person that's coming up behind me or underneath me, I'm going to push them down. The person that's above me, man, I'm going to pull them down and I'm going to get to the top. Because I'm going to achieve everything I need to achieve. Now, it's not wrong to have success, not wrong to have achievement. It's just wrong to have that as your goal. That cannot be higher than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Because when that happens, there's a selfish ambition that rises up where it's all about me, me. And when you allow that to go and you begin to pull the person below you up and you begin to push the person above you up, you know what will happen? The person below you will push you up. The person above you will pull you up. You'll be elevated to a place where God really wants you to be. See, it's partnership with him. As we're in partnership with him, he does incredible things in our life. And so it's that partnership where we allow him to do the things through us that he desires to do. And when he accomplishes those great things, he gets all the glory. Amen? And he's the one that does it. And so we partner with him instead of trying to achieve all this. I'm going to give you a scripture for this just to make this legal. Philippians 2 verse 3 says... Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now that's so important because when it's all about me, 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 you forget that you're here to be a blessing to other people. You forget that God will elevate you to the place he wants you. And not to worry about those things. You know what? When you get to heaven, God isn't going to go, wow, I'm blown away and really impressed by your accomplishments. God's going to really be blessed by your character. That's what he cares about most. And we have a chance to develop that character and take it to heaven. You're not taking any other stuff with you or your accomplishments. It's not going to impress them. Amen? Thank you for those two amens. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Number three. Number three would be reputation. Reputation. You know, it's like my reputation is so important and I'm going to be really careful to protect it. I don't want people to think bad of me. I want to win people's approval. So I'm going to really, really protect my reputation. Now, here's the problem with that. There's sometimes God tells us to do things and to be obedient to his leading and it can hurt our reputation. I remember, oh, probably about 12, 13 years ago, I went to this church growth conference uh, there was a very successful pastor there, large church. Uh, I remember he came out, very confident, self-confident, came out and he said, uh, I'm going to tell you how to build a big church. And he said, uh, number one, he said, keep your services to no longer than an hour and 10 minutes. 
It's very important not to go over that. Uh, number two, he says, don't emphasize the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't emphasize the gifts of the Spirit. And for whatever you do, do not talk about speaking in tongues. Keep all that out and do not, whatever you do, don't speak about healing and don't emphasize healing. Because he said, if you emphasize healing and then somebody comes for prayer and they don't get healed, they're going to be upset with you. They're going to be upset with the church. They're going to be upset with God and they're going to leave the church. And your church is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So I listened to him and, and you know, and, and, and so it, it started to make some sense. And, and so uh, when I came back in a subtle way, I began to, to pull things back. I began to shorten the services. I began to pull back from the things of the Spirit, not going after the Holy Spirit, not going after healing, not going after those things. And it was real subtle. I don't think people probably noticed it at first, but then it came back. And actually, the church grew during that time. And I remember I went away and prayed and fasted, and the Lord really dealt with me. And he said, if I had done what you're doing with my disciples, do you think they would have turned the world upside down? They operated in the spirit. They cast out demons. They laid hands on the sick. They raised the dead. I mean, they, they walked powerfully in a powerful way. <laughs> and so, and so I go, you got me, Lord. You got me. And, and I, I realized, wow, I really blew it. And now I'm not saying anything against those churches that do that. I, I, you know, there's great churches. But I know for me that I can't compromise who... God and the Lord Jesus Christ has called me to be. And I know that I have to do what he's called me to do, regardless of my reputation. I remember we had some close friends who we'd vacationed with, and they came to me and said, we're leaving the church. I said, why? Why? Why would you leave this incredible church? They said, your preaching sucks. No, they didn't say that. (laughs) They didn't say that. They didn't say that. They said, here's what they said. They said, you're emphasizing the Holy Spirit too much, you're emphasizing healing too much. You're emphasizing things that we don't feel comfortable with, and we're leaving. And I'll tell you, it, it hurt. And I felt like my reputation was at stake, you know, and I felt like, but you know what? When I stand before God, I want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I got to be obedient to him. He's my Lord. I've got to do what he says. You know, so, <laughs> so reputation or no reputation, you know, it, that's just the way it is. And so you got to lay down your reputation because there's time God asks you to do things that not, are not going to enhance your reputation. You might have to deal with a situation at work where you, you have to show integrity, and that's going to hurt your reputation. I just want to say something. The disciples did not have good reputations. They all died martyred deaths, except for Jan- John. He just, you know... <laughs> They put him on the island of Patmos after they tried to boil him in oil and kill him, and they couldn't. He supernaturally lived. But anyway, the other disciples all died. You know, they died martyred deaths. Peter said, I will not be crucified right side up because I'm not worthy of my Lord and Savior. I will be crucified upside down, and he was. They had terrible reputations. They were hated by this world. There's times where you're going to be hated. John Wesley, when he went through a day and he wasn't persecuted, he would, ask, he would repent before the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I have been so lukewarm today. Nobody came against me. <laughs> now, that's a little extreme. But anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but, but I just want to say sometimes reputation is less important than Jesus being Lord of, over you instead of your reputation. Amen? That's number, and let me give you a scripture for that again. I want to make this legal. Uh, Philippians 2. This is Jesus. Philippians 2, chapter... Six through eight. 
Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. The New King James says he made himself of no reputation. Now think about that. He was God. He is God. He was with God. He came down to earth, and he chose not to operate out of his divinity. He lost his divine reputation. He gave it up at that time. He didn't lose it, but he gave it up. And it says he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. In other words, he allowed God to be Lord over him, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal death on a cross. Think of the disgraceful way he died. Talk about losing your reputation. Jesus hung, totally nude before the Lord, totally disgraced, totally with no reputation, hanging in agony on the cross because he loved you and me and this world so much. He loved us so much that he was willing to have his reputation ruined before the world. That's how much he loved us. What an incredible example. And so I think we need to be willing to lay down our reputation, to not let money or security try to master us or false security. By the way, there's no security outside of Jesus. There's no security in this life beyond death. There's no security here. Stuff comes and goes. I mean, think about it. Striving for success. What is success? Success is just being obedient to God. That's what success is. It's not worldly success. Reputation. What's reputation? It means nothing. Nothing. We want to serve him because that's who we're going to serve that's who we're going to that's who we're going to stand before. There's other areas too we could talk about the family. Now, I believe the family needs to be number 2 after God. The family's so important. But here's the problem. Sometimes the family gets pushed above, especially kids get pushed above God. How's that happen you say? Well, for example, you begin to put your kids in such a position that sports and all dance and all these other things, you're running around, you're doing everything for your kids, you're like, and you're doing everything you can for them. You're giving, you, know, you give them a beautiful gift in Christmas. They open that and say, is this all? <laughs> anyway, what happens is if you put your kids before God, before Jesus, they become spoiled, they become selfish, and they begin to think that the world revolves around them. If you ask them to change a light bulb, they'll just hold onto the light bulb, waiting for the world to turn around them <laughs> to put the light bulb in. In other words, it's so important to put God first. And then your kids will really learn about how important it is, how loved they are, but where they stand. You know, it's so, so important. And Jesus said, you know, in these words, he said in Matthew 16, 38, he said, anyone who loves uh, their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, you know, it's really important to keep Jesus first. And, and by the way, our kids were big in sports. You know, Mike was big in sports. Anna was big in sports. I think sports are great, but we just make sure that Jesus is, is in front of that, okay? Uh, okay, now I want to talk about, too, the last thing is the flesh. Say the flesh. I don't think I have to go into this in detail, but uh, the flesh always wants to have its own way. I mean, it just wants to have its own way. Uh, when a little baby is born and the mother's gone through agonizing hours of labor, 
I want you to know that that little baby, when it gets hungry, it doesn't say, oh, my mom's gone through a really hard delivery with me. <laughs> I'm just going to wait till my mom wakes up so then I can get fed. No, the baby goes, I want to eat now. <laughs> the baby's not considered. And let me just tell you, we all have that selfish nature. And sometimes, you know, we may not do it quite that way, but lots of times when we don't get our own way, you know, we're going in kind of a quieter way. I want my own way. You know, and I, I'm sure you're not like that. But anyway, uh, I got a feeling that you are sometimes because I know sometimes I am too. You know, that flesh rises up. I remember hearing a pastor a few years ago say, you know, a few years ago I conquered the flesh and I no longer have a problem with the flesh. And I wanted to say, you are full of poop. I almost said the wrong word, but I realized where I am. I know I'm in church. But anyway, you are full of poop. And I, I thought, I don't want to hear anything more you have to say because I know you're lying. There will be a time when your flesh will no longer have anything, any impact on you. You know when that is? When, yeah, when you die and when you're with Jesus. That's when it's going to happen. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you because, you know, in, in Galatians uh, 5.17, talks about how the desires of the flesh are contrary to the spirit and how they, you know, it tries to keep you from doing what, what you want. In other words, it tries to keep Jesus from being Lord of your life. It tries to keep you from being obedient. And so, as I said, there will be a time when you're, in the meantime, you're going to have to deal with it. And so I'm going to give you three keys to, to walking in the Lordship of Jesus. Number one, are you ready for this? Be fully convinced that you're a child of God, a beloved child of God, a God that really loves you and that he has a plan for your life. Let me say that again. Number one, be fully convinced. I believe there's, a, first of all, there's people that don't know Jesus who don't know that basically how much God loves them and that he has a plan for their life. But there's also Christians who either don't know it or forgotten it. I want you to see this video. gas on seven and let me get two slices of that pizza please thought you might like something to eat it's mighty christ-like of you young man thank you i don't know about that just look like you could use some help saw You do, too. Yeah? I guess we all do, huh? You know, sometimes it feels like no matter how hard you try, everything you do is wrong. Well, you know, most people mess up because they don't know right from wrong. Just do whatever they want, whenever they want. Bad choices. 
making bad things happen. Just running around, trying to prove that somebody, not even realizing who they really are. Yeah, well, who are they? God's children, of course. We're all God's children. He loves all of us. Yeah, I guess if you say so, mister. Now, just because you don't know you're God's child don't mean you're not. And if you ain't God's child, who are you? Well... You know, it's amazing how many people really don't realize how much God loves them and that they're his child. But when you receive Jesus Christ is when you really come into that revelation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, or 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not because of works, lest anyone should boast. And then the next verse says, We are his workmanship, or his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, for good works that we might walk in them. In other words, God has an incredible plan for us. He not only loves us, but he has an incredible plan. Now, he doesn't lay out the plan when we receive Jesus. He doesn't lay out the plan and say, here's the plan for the rest of your life. We'd go, ah, you know, we just we couldn't handle it. But he gives us the next step. And as we seek him, he gives us the next step. And then the next step. And then the next step. And we fulfill his plan and his will as he's the Lord of our life and as we're obedient to his direction. And so I just want to encourage you. First John chapter three, verse two says, dear friends, we are, and this is written to Christians, by the way, this is the apostle John in first John three, two, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. Think about that. We are becoming more like Jesus every day. And it's really during the hard times. It's really during the struggles. When we keep our eyes on him, that's when we're changing the most to become like him. That's when we're really, really dependent upon him. That's when he's changing us from the inside out. So I'm going to encourage you. I want to encourage you that you're becoming more like Jesus and you're going to even become more like Jesus. Now, when none of us have arrived yet, we're all in process. But we're all becoming more like him. You know, it's interesting because as we recognize that we're his kid and how much he loves us and he has a plan for our lives, it's easier to really walk in that place and let him be Lord of our life. Really trust him. When we know he loves us, it's easier to trust him. The second thing, number two, become a living sacrifice. Say that. I need to be a living sacrifice. Now, what's a living sacrifice? Well, living sacrifice is when you say, okay, God, whoever I am, whatever you plan for me, whatever it is, I lay it all down on the altar. Problem with a living sacrifice is it tries to crawl off the altar oftentimes. It's not comfortable on the altar. It's hard to die to yourself. It's hard to be on the altar. It's hard to, to give it all up. The truth is, though, when you can do that, has a tremendous effect you won't be offended as easily. Even when life kind of kicks you in the, in the rear, you will be able to handle it. You know, if we had a corpse up here, if I had a corpse up here, I could kick that corpse. I could spit on that corpse. That corpse would not be offended. That corpse would not respond back. Amen? 
that God's calling us to give it up, to become living sacrifices. The scripture says it this way. Do not conform. No, no, I'm sorry. I got the wrong verse here. Okay. This is what it says in in chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your brother, to give your bodies to God because because of all that he has done for you. In other words, we need to deliver our bodies to him. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. In other words, we need to lay it all down. True worship means we surrender everything. We give it all. And that kind of goes against the, the world's understanding. You know, and, but, but this, is, this is what we're called to do. We're called to be living sacrifices no matter how hard it is. And I got to tell you, it's hard to do. It's hard to surrender. It's hard to, to, to just say, boy, Lord, I just give it all to you. And I just want you to think this week, just think of one thing, one area of your life that you can put on the altar and surrender to him so that you can more truly fulfill what he's called you to do. The last thing I want to mention is we need to respond like Jesus when treated badly. In other words, when you can truly, truly realize that you're his son, you're his daughter, and he deeply loves you, and he has an incredible plan for you, when you can truly embrace that, and then when you can become a living sacrifice, then it's going to be easier for you to respond in the opposite spirit. When somebody comes against you, you'll be able to respond in the opposite way. That's why Jesus said when somebody hits you on the cheek, turn that, turn the other cheek instead of retaliating, which is a natural reaction, a natural human reaction. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes this. This is just a little further down in the same chapter where he talks about being a living sacrifice. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, what? Do what? Give him a drink. Then he goes on to say this. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. Now, it didn't mean you're going to, you know, torment the person. What it means is, in those days, fire was a precious commodity. And so when somebody's fire went out, it took a long time to build that fire back up. So they would go to their neighbor, and they would put a brazier on their head. And that neighbor would put those hot coals, and they would carry those hot coals in the brazier on their head, and they would dump it on their hearth, and then they would have a fire right away. That was a blessing. And so you bless people. In fact, he goes on to say in that same, same verse, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus said, bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We've got to learn how to respond in the opposite spirit. Now, I've got to be honest with you. There's times in my life when I don't respond in the right spirit. It's funny, I went away for two days this week and prayed and fasted. And it was interesting, during that time, the Lord brought to mind someone that I was holding some anger and resentment toward. 
I was surprised because sometimes we're moving at such a pace we don't realize it. And so when I saw that, I went, oh, God, because I hate that, you know, that in us. And it, it really robs my peace. It robs my joy. It robs my ability to love. It robs my relationship with him. And I go, God, please forgive me. And I just cried out to him. And, of course, he did. And he said, I want you to make things right. And so as soon as I got back in town, I called this person. I said, I deeply deeply sorry. I, please forgive me. I responded in a really wrong way to the circumstances, to the situation, and I really ask, need you to forgive me. And then the Lord said, I want you to bless this person. And so on top of that, I said, I want to bless you in this way. I want you to know, when, after I did that, I just felt so free. I just felt like a weight was just lifted off my shoulders. And so sometimes it's not only asking forgiveness from God, It's going to that person, but then it's blessing that person that you were holding something against. It really frees you. It really frees you. And I encourage you, if there's anybody in your life that maybe, you know, if we were doing communion now, I'd say, okay, you know, who's that person in your life that you've kind of blocked it out? It might be years ago. It might be recently. You know, please deal with it because it hurts your ability to walk in the full lordship to really serve him in the fullness of the way you want to. It comes in and it gets you focused on that situation or that person or whatever it is. It's easy to let resentment, anger, and bitterness build up, but you can't let it happen. It's so important to be free. Anyway, I want to pray for you today because I believe this message truly will change your life if you'll let it. Because you know you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. I just got to tell you, but there's so many things that try to rob us from his lordship. And I believe God's doing a great work. So I want you to bow your heads if you would. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, I just thank you that you pour your spirit out in this place. Father, whatever it is that might be trying to come in, first of all, Father, it's so important that they come to know you through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, man, I don't know if I were to die tonight, whether I'd spend eternity with him. He wants you to have that assurance. He wants to come into your life. He wants to forgive you of the mistakes you've made. That's why he died. That's why he hung and gave up his reputation. It was for you. So if you're here this morning and you need that, or you might say, well, pastor, at one time I did that, but I've really strayed away. I need to come back. Well, he's just waiting for you to come back. So if that's you, either one of those groups, I want you to, with a hand raised, I'm not going to have you stand, but I want you to raise your hand as a way of saying, Lord, I need you. God bless you, honey. God bless you. I see that person. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Just kind of wave at me. God bless you in the back. Any others? God bless you. Yep, I see over here. God bless you. I'll tell you what, put your hands down. I want everybody to pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Thank you that you do. Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. I'm yours, Jesus. You're my Lord and Savior. I'm coming back to you. Let's give Jesus a great hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless anybody else I missed. By the way, Jeff will be down here. He has a gift for you. If you raise your hand today, he wants to bless you and pray with you. But he has a gift for you. Would you stand to your feet? One more thing I want you to do before we just close with a short chorus. I want you to say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that I am your beloved child. 
that you have a wonderful plan for me. Help me not to crawl off the altar, to, to be that living sacrifice in every area of my life. And help me to respond the way you would, Jesus, when things don't go well or I'm not treated well. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, let's give him a great hand. Hallelujah. Woo.